evidence and answers. Many Christians today now believe homosexuality is an accepted lifestyle. However, the Bible clearly speaks against the gay lifestyle. One of the reasons is that it is a very dangerous and unhealthy lifestyle that the human body was not designed for. At our recent Evidence and Answers conference, Dr. Corey Miller presented the dangers of the gay lifestyle and why we need to defend biblical marriage. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. The last time we were together, Dr. Corey Miller began a message presenting the truth about homosexuality and its dangers. Now let's continue on with part two of this three-part message. But it's not just about we, my spouse and I, it's about three. It's holy matrimony. This infuses purpose and motivation into the marriage. I told you, I got married very early. I didn't really know my wife. She didn't know what kind of a hunk she really had. In the first month, we had talked divorce. I remember sitting in a car with her thinking, okay, what are we going to do? I hate you. You hate me. How are we going to work this out? We didn't know each other at all. And so I said, don't try this at home, kids. I like the courting idea, but get to know someone at least. Our conviction, till death do you part, and what does it mean to love someone unconditionally? And to look in the mirror at myself first before I look at you and talk about problems has given us three successful decades and three kids who will never have a single person home. Marriage can be hard, but what if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? Tomorrow morning, I'm meeting with a seminary uh, old best friend of mine that I haven't seen in 20 years. He just happened to, his ship just docked. He's a Navy chaplain. We also, you know, went through, went through this book together. And we were accountability partners. We often talked about, you know, our young marriages and how marriage is the perfect context to grow in holiness. We were accountability partners. We, we tried to hold each other to account as men, as husbands, as better men, as better husbands, and to challenge each other to look at marriage as a context for spiritual growth. As prior military myself, I remember getting dropped all the time in boot camp. You know, you do your push-ups, and then you'd say, drill sergeant, thank you for conditioning my mind and my body. Drill sergeant, please feel free to do so at any time. Drill sergeant, Private Miller requests permission to recover. He'd either say, denied 10 more, 100 more, or okay, stand up and get out of here. I feel like in marriage, it's the same kind of thing sometimes. Drill sergeant, what in the world did you get me into? You know, and then thank you for conditioning my mind and my body. Please feel free to do so at any time. If I can look at the obstacles in marriage as opportunities for growth, I say, thank you, drill sergeant. This is awesome. I've seen myself blemished and selfish once again. What if both spouses saw their obligation before God in this way? Till death do us part. We're not just roommates. We can't just say, see you, see you later, sayonara, I'll find another roommate. No, I'm committed to you. How are we going to make this work? How are we going to have a happy marriage? How is it that happiness in the classic world, even from Aristotle onward, was consonant with holiness so that the truly happy life and objective state is consonant with the holy life? so that we can forever search for happiness outside of God and never ultimately find it. 
What if we were designed for this? As Augustine said, thou hast created us for thyself, O God, and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in thee. What if we're looking for love in all the wrong places, as the country music song goes? What if love is defined by God and love is not just love? It's more meaningful than that. What if we both saw this as a, as a commitment forever for this life? Marriage as a spiritual growth lab context. Married couples on average have far more wealth at the end of their lives than otherwise, enabling the passing on of wealth to the next generation. Good for society. Marriage and growing up with stable marriage boosts our well-being, the good life for individuals and for society. Marriage between a man and a woman is good for couples, good for kids, and good for civilization. I do not take lightly how difficult marriage is, and it often takes two people to tango. If only one is trying, it becomes really, really super difficult, and I, I feel terrible in those situations for, for outcomes because you both really need to try. Moving on, truth and political truth. Know the difference. They are not the same any more than justice and social justice are, or science and political science. There's truth, there's political truth. Well, what is truth? Truth is objective, it's real. If something is true, it's true for all people at all places and all times. Examples would be mathematical and logical truth. Two plus two equals four. Laws of logic apply to all reality. To deny that is to assume the laws of logic in your assertion. You literally can't escape it. Scientific truth, light travels at 186,000 miles per second. Water is essentially H2O. Religious truth, if God is creator, then God was not created. Ethical truth, clubbing homosexuals with a bat over the head just for fun is evil. Uh, last night, how I set many of you up and I said, do you want to be racist or anti-racist? As if those were the only two alternatives. I'd ask my ethics class, homosexuality, hate or celebrate? Which will you choose, right? No one wants to be a hater. And I would disabuse my students from being relativists on day one by asking them, how many of you think it is morally okay to grab the biggest club you can find and bat a homosexual over the head? Anyone? Anyone? Somebody? Bueller? No one? So what you're saying here is that it's wrong. It's not just like a personal preference, like flavors of ice cream. It's, it's absolutely wrong, right? Means there are moral absolutes, right? And all you need to have moral absolutes, a moral law in a set of moral absolutes is just one. If only that one were the only one, we would have a moral law which implies a moral law maker. People don't like that conclusion, so they opt for relativism and bite the bullet, but then they have no problem. They can have no problem with clubbing a homosexual over the head just for fun. So I try to use not the old passe things like the Hitler card, because that's old hat. People yawn at that. I use things that have modern cash value, like that illustration, to disabuse people of their moral relativism. And once you've got them on the hook of moral absolutism, a moral law, it's a short distance from there to the moral law maker. Truth is knowable. How do I know this? Take someone who says that it's not. Truth does not exist. Is that true? There are no truths. Is that true? If it's true, then it's false. And if it's false, then it's true. In logic, it's called a reductio ad absurdum. It reduces the statement, there are no truths, to absurdity. It's not just accidentally false, it's necessarily false. It cannot not be. There must be truth. And we can see this in the world. 
we discover things out there and we're able to make inferences and added, added parts to our knowledge to develop rocket ships to go to the moon, technology. Is it absolute? Can I know the absolute absolutely? Well, not always, not exactly, not ever. Adequately, yes. Suppose, you know, Biden and Putin were emailing back and forth or somehow communicating and, and Putin sent a message about Ukraine. Do you think Biden's interpreters would interpret it and say, Putin wants to have pizza tomorrow when Putin actually said I'm launching the first nuclear bomb? Now, there might be nuanced differences in the translation of language, but I guarantee you none of the translators are going to come out and say, gosh, he, he wants to have lunch tomorrow. I may not be able to know the absolute absolutely. I can know it adequately. So this idea of relativism is just shot through. Likewise, truth is exclusive to error by its very nature. That's what truth is. If two plus two equals four, it's not five or three or any potentially infinite other number. Oh, you mathematical bigot, you hater. No, this is just truth. Welcome to the nature of truth. Truth is defined as that which corresponds to reality, that which maps on with the way the world is, that which squares with reality, not as some postmodern philosophers define it, that which my peers will let me get away with. How about tolerance? In the pre-modern and the modern world of the Enlightenment, there was one view of tolerance and truth. Truth was objective and people are equally valued. Remember this statement for rhetorical apologetics. Biology is not bigotry. It's just science and we ought to listen to the science, right? Keep that one in mind as we go on. The postmodernist says truth is my truth. You do you, I'll do me. And it's lived experience. You have nothing to say in reproductive justice if you're a male. You don't have the lived experience of walking with the baby. You have nothing to say if you are on the oppressor spectrum next to me with the lived experience. There's white privilege, there's even brown privilege, which is different from white privilege and not as good as being black. And there's different shades of blackness as well. But lived experience is how we know truth. Of course, knowledge is a social construction of reality, the postmodernist says, but somehow a select few can know the truth if they have the lived experience. For the pre-modernist and the modernist, we used to say love the sinner and hate the sin, right? Disagreement is not denigration. Disagreement is not denigration. Just because we disagree doesn't mean I hate you. It's not hate or celebrate. There's another option. For the postmodernist, the sinner and the sin is inseparable. Either you hate or celebrate. I am my ideas. I am my behavior. And if you don't agree with me, you hate me, and you're probably going to haze me after class. For the pre-modernist and the modernist, they believed that we must be elitists with respect to ideas. Not all ideas are good or helpful. Some are downright dangerous and harmful. Take Nazism. But we should be equalists, egalitarian with respect to people. Treat them all the same because all are sacred. I disagree with what you say, said the deist Voltaire, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. This is where the idea of free speech, of cognitive liberty comes in. But today, even cognitive liberty is called into question. If you violate a political truth, don't believe in tolerating the intolerant said Stalin, ideas are more powerful than weapons. We don't allow our enemies to have weapons, so why should we let them have ideas? 
This Marxism is the heart and soul of the cancel culture in our society. This is where it's coming from. And that's why it's not a Democrat-Republican thing of, of, of the old school. It's not left and right of the old school. It's the new left. It's the Marxist left. It's a foreign ideology that was not part of this country that has come from without and now is embedded and ensconced very infrastructured from within. Political truth and polyamory. Love is love, right? So we start up here with the movie Sister Wives. Maybe you've seen that series, Sister Wives, where the guy's kind of hip looking up on the top left and he's got four wives. I remember watching this one episode. Okay, I had to watch it. I have a Mormon background and you know, my Mormon family says that I, I come from very healthy stock. My founder was one of Joseph Smith's bodyguards. You can read about it in the book in, in the back there. And he took five wives and had 36 children of which I'm a descendant. So healthy stock. At any rate, I'm in Utah. And I, I watched this. I was going to Purdue at the time. I'm from Utah. I saw this episode where they invited this other family to join them on vacation to go to Las Vegas, this other polygamous family. And instantly, I recognized two out of the three wives. I grew up with them three houses down, and they were twin sisters. Well, what about the next couple? A good-looking couple there with the baby. Coupling. A new novel idea with... Tens of thousands joining the websites on platonic parenting, where you draw up a contract, you meet each other online, and you say, you're kind of hot, you look like you have good genotype traits because you have good phenotype traits, and so let's hook up in Montana. We won't do the Petri dish, we'll do the deed one night, and we draw up a contract, and it won't be like a bad divorce where we have to say, you know, you get them for only weekends and I get them for weekdays. We'll split them right down the middle, 50-50. We'll agree to live within a vicinity together. And that's how we'll do parenting with that child. So that we're old now. We still want to have a child, one child. This is how we'll do it. Or on Valentine's Day, a couple of years ago in Thailand, the first thruple, three males. Why stop at three? That's kind of boring. That's now passe. Why not a commune? Well, we'll get to that, but LGBT plus minor attracted persons, a group that used to be called NAMBLA, North American Man-Boy Love Association, they want in too. They want to join the pride parades. Why discriminate against them? So long as Johnny consents, right? What? So long as Johnny consents, Yes, Johnny, do you love me? Yes, I love you, prepubescent Johnny says. And I said, I love you too. I'll have him back by midnight. I was oriented that way. I was born that way. What? You can't be born that way. Why not? Everybody else in my parade is. Why can't I? Peter Singer, I almost had him at Purdue, but he was going to charge $25,000 and I didn't have the money to pay him. He's the most famous moral philosopher alive. He teaches euthanasia. He teaches infanticide, babies before the age of 30 days old outside of the womb. And he also has an article called Dearest Pet. Pet lovers in here, how much do you love them? Hawaii just passed the anti-bestiality law eight months ago. It took them that long because the legislators here had determined that Hawaii was becoming a major destination for the practice of being exotic. Peter Singer says, as a moral philosopher, so long as it's mutually consensual and no harm is inflicted on the animal, your balking at this is just a form of discrimination called speciesism. Do you want to be a discriminator? The D word? 
Well, how are you going to know if it's mutually consensual? Look, Washington is still the number one state for this practice. In 2006, they made it illegal. You can look it up. You can Google it. There was an entire commune practicing this, and one man, because he was on the receiving end with a horse, died. There's a reason why this is in the Bible, not because it was mere theory, but because it was being practiced, and it's being practiced today in Hawaii. Well, what about the next one? Guy's a good-looking guy. He's got his girlfriend there, probably shacking. What more does he need? Well, this pretty young thing walks by in red, and she's now old hat, been there, done that. This one is hot. Cheating. Look, I can't help it. I was born that way. It's just my desire. It's my preference. Either you love me as, you, as I am or you hate me. Hate or celebrate. What will it be? Look, if marriage has no grounding in absolute truth, then it has no perimeters, does it? You can't be arbitrary and pick and choose where to draw the line and just say, I see the logic of this, but there's just something in my gut that says that's just wrong. You can't do that. The public relations war, truth, and the rhetoric of LGBTQIAAMAP, Abraham Lincoln once said that in this age, in this country, public sentiment, the emotions, is everything. With it, nothing can fail. Against it, nothing can succeed. Whoever molds public sentiment goes deeper than he who enacts statutes or pronounces judicial decisions. Same like the talk last night. It plays on the victimhood, the haves and the have-nots, the oppressed and the oppressors. And this is why you cry victim, because it generates compassion from the outside, and you're able to then assess blame on the oppressors and call them victimizers and oppressors and haters and bigots. And Christians are leaving the church by droves. 73% of Gen Z, which is 26% of the population, 73% of them embrace gay marriage and are leaving the church. Why? For reasons like this, because we give them no answers. We just says, say, the Bible says it. Great, that works for Acts chapter 2, but what about Acts chapter 17? We need to think about the rhetoric here. In uh, Rhetoric is the art of persuasion, and it comes along with logos, ethos, and pathos. Ethos is something we derive our English word ethic. Logos is like logic, and when we think about Christian apologetics, oftentimes we focus on the logical arguments. But guess what? Some of the most persuasive things is the pathos, the passion. I know how you feel, Bill Clinton said, and he got reelected. Rather than putting Al Gore up there, who believed the same things, somehow Bill Clinton was like Elvis up there, and everyone just swooned when he said, I know how you feel, and everyone believed him. If you can put the rhetoric out there, if you can get the emotions and identify with the audience, you win. We need to be identifying in this way, not with just logos in our arguments, or ethos, credibility, and ethic, and character, but also pathos. A disclaimer, I debated, uh, my first debate was with a homosexual philosopher about 25 years ago, actually, and I remember learning something about that debate, and ever since then, I've used this illustration, and I want you to remember it, um, about cocainophobia and homophobia. Let's assume you are a sibling, the oldest sibling in your family, and moreover, you have younger siblings, the second of which is addicted to crack cocaine. Not only that, he's selling the family heirlooms for drug money, and he's getting your younger brothers and sisters addicted too. Question, love is love. Is the most loving thing to do in this case to, dude, live and let live. Different strokes for different folks. Do you do you? I'll do me. That's your truth. This is my truth. Or is it, you know, his birthday's coming up. We live in a 
liked culture, social media proves it. You want to see how many likes you can get. You know it's going to get you liked here. His birthday's coming up, and so you buy him a bag of cocaine to celebrate. Hate or celebrate? Would we celebrate? Is that the way to love? By harm. Or would it be because you love him? Wrapping your arms around your brother and saying, please, I love you. And because I love you, stop doing this. You're hurting yourself and my love, mom and dad, our brothers and sisters, stop it. Which one of those is the most likely candidate to be a real definition of love? Which are the ones that would be cocaineophobic? Now let's think about homophobia in a different light. What if those who disagree with homosexuality do so because they are the ones that have compassion. We need to reclaim the rhetoric of compassion in this argument. And we do it by adding some information rather than the Bible says. Because all truth is God's truth in nature and in scripture, right? May take a little homework time for us, but we can do it and we must do it. Homosexuality in the born this way argument, Lady Gaga, no matter if you are gay, straight, or bi, lesbian, or transgendered life, you are on the right track, baby because God makes no mistakes. You was born this way, baby. Don't hide yourself in regret. Just love yourself and you're set. The argument from compassion, the first part of it, theological. It's basically an ar argument I gave when that former pastor in my class charged me with creating a suicidal environment. Number one, and I'm gonna do it at four-pronged, homosexuality is ungodly, unnatural, unhealthy, and uneconomical. Homosexuality is ungodly, or I say ungoodly, because not every major world religion actually believes in God. For the first 500 years of Buddhism, it was non-theistic, right? Ungodly, ungoodly. Every major world religion either condemns or fails to condone homosexuality by virtue of a, a positive command explicitly or implicitly through the do-no-harm principle. The atheist textbook I had always said if there was an argument from harm that could be developed, that would be powerful. That's what you're about to see. The general religious stance might be the silver rule, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you, but that's not the best rule in ethics because think about this good Samaritan, you're walking by and you say, ooh, that looks painful, you better get a doctor, whoa, look at the time. Next guy does the same thing, the third guy comes by, and I don't care if you've ever read the story, ever heard of the story before, whether you lived 2,000 years ago on whatever continent you lived on, everyone's going to th see that story and think the same thing with the third guy he better do the right thing or I'm going to, you know. The right thing is to do something positive, the golden rule. Do to others what you want them to do to you. The Bible, we now see cultural rather than textual changes that explain the biblical justification of homosexuality. But the Hebrew and the Greek have not changed. And the original authors of the scriptures who were fluent and original language speakers knew it just as well as any scholar does today. But yet you have gay theology that teaches that Jesus didn't say anything explicitly in red letters, ah, but he inferred things when he went back to Genesis. And Jesus was probably gay anyway, him and John the Beloved who put his head on his chest. And Paul, he's just a homophobe. And besides those passages in the Old Testament, they were really about idolatry or a lack of hospitality in Sodom and Gomorrah. And then you have the Queen James Bible in 2012, which changed all and only those verses. It fixed them, right? In honor of King James, of course, who was allegedly bisexual. And so they fixed it. They're going after now the source of these haters in culture, the last holdout, the Alamo, the Bible-believing Christians. The argument from compassion now, nature's plumbing. I call this the plumbing argument. You can be an atheist and start with this argument because someone who defends the 
practice of homosexuality, will not find comfort in uh, hospitality intellectually in theism or in atheism, in special design or in evolution. So for the sake of argument, let's just assume evolution is true. Evolution is about survival of the fittest. Nature selects, or Darwin's word was preserves, genes that have survival adaptivity. In other words, the ability to reproduce the species. Guess what doesn't have the ability to reproduce? We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. We have a wide variety of different topics that will make for an incredible conference series. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or even schedule a conference at your church or location, give him a call. That number in Hawaii is 4830586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Be sure to use our search engine for available resources. We have everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So share our website with those around you. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the Air, we rely on generous financial support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to partner with us, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to connect and grow in Christ, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log on at honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucrad. Evidence and Answers.